welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Scott Walters. And I'm your co-host, Mark Ambrosio. And today we are joined by one of our new crew, Ryan Baxter. Ryan just joins us from the music department. So today we are going off the rails a little bit. We're going to be doing one of our hashtag grad life episodes, a short and sweet one where we talk about how it is to live and work in academia here at Western University. Mark is in library information sciences, and we were all just chatting a little bit ago, talking about what it is to use the libraries here. And so I thought it would be fun to start today's episode by just talking about the libraries we have, what makes them special, and how we're actually using them these days and ages here as part of our academic life. So Mark, you're in library information science. What made you actually decide to do that? And then, you know, I want to know that first. I know we're not interviewing you as a guest, but I am curious. <laughs> Thank you. That's a good question. Um, library and information science is a very interdisciplinary area. And so I sort of felt myself being drawn to it over time. Uh, I've, I've been away from academia for a while, but I'm from London. I'm a Western graduate. And I should also add, in addition, I run a book club that is hosted oh, cool. by the Central Library here in London. And so, yeah, I found myself being drawn to it, both my research interests and professionally. Uh, to be very honest, part of the reason why I'm studying library and information science is because there is that professional aspect. So I know we all pro start PhD programs saying, I'm going to be a tenured professor. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, realistically, unfortunately, as it stands right now, only one out of every five PhD graduates uh, gets tenure as a full-time professor. So it's good mm -hmm. to have other options in mind and be aware also that the academic world includes administration, includes librarians, and it includes archivists. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <clears throat> well, that's cool. That's, well, I love libraries as well. I've always loved them. Probably a lot of people in academia do. But I actually started my love of libraries in literature and stuff like that. So my background was in the humanities. That's what I got my first degrees in, in theater, and I was really into English. But eventually I moved over to science for anybody who's been listening for a while on the podcast. So I just remember when I was an undergrad, just perusing the stacks, walking around. I spent most of my time uh, studying and working on my degrees uh, when I was younger in the libraries at the university. Ryan, what about you? Have you used the libraries here much, or did you use them much when you were an undergrad yourself? Mm -hmm. So in music, we're a bit of a, a unique breed, and of course yeah. we have libraries, but I think we use them in a different way. Um, if you're in music education, you're probably using it a lot. Certainly if you're in musicology or music research, as it's sometimes called. But in performance and even music theory, we maybe don't use them quite as much, or we use them in a different way. Um, myself as a performance major, one thing that the library is very useful for is scores. Mm -hmm. So music libraries have very expensive, very well edited scores that you can't take out of the library. You can look at them and you can copy them if necessary, but they're, they really shouldn't be taken out because they're really well made. So that's an interesting aspect of music libraries is the amount of research that goes into creating actual scores. Mm -hmm. um, if you go in the music library here at Western, there's <laughs> if even if you can't read music, it's kind of interesting to go to the back corner and there's a little section called oversized scores. And some of them are like four feet high by two feet wide, right? And just to look at them, right? How massive these some of these scores are. Um, in my undergrad, I did use the library a fair bit. Mostly I found it a useful space to work in. I just found I got a lot done when I went to the library, um, even if I wasn't there for the books necessarily. 
Right. Yeah. I always found that the case too, that just studying there, it was a calming space to be. Also, I remember there was a fair bit of wildlife in my library where I was. I went to school in Northern California and I remember, maybe it happens here too, and Wilden, I'm not sure, but we got sparrows and bats that would break into the library quite often. So if you were working throughout the day, you saw the birds, but sometimes at night you would actually see, it was tall ceilings at that library, you'd actually see the bats flying around. But yeah, we had huge couches at that library anyway, so it was very comfortable to just sit and relax and stay there. Uh, late into the night if necessary. But did you find that you did a lot of similar studying when you were in undergrad in libraries, Mark? Yes and no. Um, I appreciate that's kind of a trope, his students mm-hmm. coming to the library to study. And that's certainly a big thing here at Western. Um, like, you know, if you, during exam season, if you happen to wander in the Walden Library, you'll see it's full students studying. And mm-hmm. it becomes more of a uh, more of a study hall than a than necessarily library in the way people often think of the word library, but it also goes to show, I think, how libraries can serve different purposes. And um, we think of libraries sometimes, something that's come up in LIS and some literature is reading is the idea of libraries as storage spaces, i.e. storage spaces for books, or in music, storage spaces for scores. And Mm -hmm. that's true, but it's interesting to think of how libraries has evolved. So a place for studying, as you mentioned, Scott, a place that might have nice couches, Mm -hmm. um, a bit of a community hub. Um, So I'm I'm doing a PhD in library information science in the Faculty of Information and Media Studies, commonly known here at Western as FIMS. And FIMS is lucky, we're, we're one of the few faculties, in addition to music, which has our own library. We have the FIMS Grad Library and the FNB building, a very weird name for a building, FIMS and Nursing Building. Mm-hmm. And uh, the FIMS Grad Library, it's a great resource. It's really, if you're in the building and you're working and if you just need, you need to ask them a question, you need to speak to somebody, when the FIMS Library is open, it's kind of the f- public face of the faculty. So in a way it's very interesting because I think there's an aspect to to the university where, sure, yes, there's professors lecturing, but there's also library maybe a place where you talk to somebody, you ask questions, you get help. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you had that experience, Scott. Like if you maybe needed help from a librarian or yes, definitely. Well, not recently, but I definitely have before. I've gone. I used to go and get help from librarians when I was doing research on different topics, and they kind of just helped me get started and ways to go. There's a lot more online resources now, but still, I think these are people who are trained in how to mm-hmm. help you get to the information yeah. you're looking for. But So we've all talked about studying libraries and different uses, but of course, one of the main uses of libraries is it's a repository, as you're talking about, for books. And one thing when I go in there these days, I'm a bit of a more mature student, and over time I've noticed there's less people actually using the bookshelves and using the books. And so the studying has still stayed true. It's probably become more true in my own anecdotal observations, but when I go to the stacks in my library, the library that I tend to use, the Natural Sciences Library, the Taylor Library here on campus, uh, if I go to the stacks, which for in case we have listeners that don't know, those are sort of the all the different floors of many shelves of books where most of the books are housed uh, in a given library, and when I go there, it's like a desert. Like <laughs> There's never anybody in there almost ever because at least in Taylor, the tax stacks really are set to the side. And we have floors where the main spaces are just rows on rows of reading desks. Mm. And so it can be calm and it can be very quiet and a place for me to go. And I love looking on the shelves and finding books. 
it's just surprising to me because I love it in the stacks and places like that so much. And I was wondering if you've seen that change over time, Mark, and also Ryan, if you enjoy stacks. I know I don't know if there's really stacks in the music library. I don't think there is. But in other libraries, you've probably used. If you still enjoy that perusing of, of the books. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I do. I, I tend to pop into the library when I have like a free half an hour. Like at least in the music library, we always have a shelf of of the new stuff it literally just says new stuff um (laughs) so i like looking through there just to see what we've recently purchased or got in right um and it's nice to just pull something off off the stack and and read for a little bit but i I know that can be hard like in the middle of the academic term but i i like it as a nice summer activity to go in and just see what's new look through the stacks a little bit and um, the music library isn't huge so you don't feel like you're lost in it right like there's a music theory section. It's got three or four rows of shelves. There's a music education section. It's got three or four rows of shelves. Like it's a manageable size that you don't feel overwhelmed by what's in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love the physical stacks as well. And we were talking earlier about browsing and the, the I mentioned the concept of serendipity or serendipitous browsing. And I know, Ryan, you found it very mm-hmm. helpful as well. And it's not hard to replicate that experience of physically browsing shelves and seeing perhaps you know a few books over or, or on the other side of the aisle a, sh- a book that may be related to your research that you wouldn't have come across just perusing the catalog speaking of the catalog though i think it's a little caveat if i may and i know we we think okay well i don't i'm not actually using the library that much i'm sitting at you know a laptop in my office and i'm downloading these journal articles Maybe I'm printing some off, but you know, I'm not necessarily browsing the stacks. Well, in a way we are because we have I had this conversation with some other PhD students about a year ago, but you know, and some are saying, Oh, I'm not actually in the library that often. Well, when you download a, a journal article, you kind of are because hmm. it's through the library that we have subscriptions to these different journals. So the library, even we're using it physically and digitally, and it's kind of an interesting distinction. And I, th- I don't think the library necessarily gets the credit it deserves when we access journal articles digitally, but it's yeah. we're still using the library even though we're not in the library. You know, library at some point made the decision which journals to subscribe to, whether physically and even digitally. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent, that's a great point. Because, of course, we've been talking about the physical libraries yeah. here rather than all the online library features, which um, are becoming more and more a huge thing in our library system. Yeah. Okay, I have a question from Mark, and I, I don't want to pick on Mark too much because he's our library student. But Mark, do you see a like a clear benefit to faculties having their own libraries? Some universities have one massive library that kind of houses everything. I mean, here at Western, we do have a few faculties that have their own. Like, is there a distinct benefit to that? That's a good question, and I think there is. At Western, like, there's the Weldon Library, which social sciences and humanities sort of becomes the default library and there's also the Taylor Library which is more for science although I'm sure there is some overlap but there are also smaller libraries like the music library there's the Fims graduate library and there's even smaller libraries in the western library system so for example St. Peter's Seminary which is affiliated with the university through King's College has its own library and it's a small library because it's a small library they don't have any books to speak of it I mean they have some in their archives that are very rare and very valuable books, but otherwise, all their collections, all, all all the collection is on the shelf. And there's some benefit to having a librarian who may be familiar with a particular area, 
So, for example, in the law library, I'm sure I haven't been in there in a while, but I believe that some of the staff are familiar with legal scholarship and jurisprudence. Mm -hmm. and, and similarly, I think in the music library, you'd find... You have a yeah, music librarian. You have a music librarian. Yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. So, you know, that music librarian uh, is specialized. And so, yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> I think it's not as common as it once was, mm -hmm. from my understanding, but there's there's arguments in favor of having like as great an institution as a Walden library is sometimes the smaller libraries hit a real niche really well right yeah mm -hmm. i think that's cool yeah the schools that i went to before didn't have as many smaller library libraries as we do here in western i just have to make sure that i take the time to go to some of the other ones because mm -hmm. i love what i do i love natural sciences what i'm in but I'm not going to run into books. Or people. Or people. Yeah, I'm yeah. not going to run into people, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, but I'm not going to run into books serendipitously, as you spoke of, yeah. that are on a totally different subject. Not that I normally would on the same shelf anyway, but as I'm walking through a library, like when I'm in a larger library like Wilden, I might suddenly get drawn to some side subject and so forth. That's pretty interesting. But when you were talking about serendipity, that got me excited because that's one of my favorite things about favorite libraries. Like when I find that we have a physical book, when I'm looking on the online catalog and I need to go get that, I actually have a little pep in my step when I leave my office to go to the library because I'm excited not just to get an actual physical book, but also because I know I'm going to be looking through mm. an interesting area of the library. You know, I have been to the music library, your music library before, cool. Ryan. It yeah. is pretty neat. I haven't seen, yeah. I think you were telling us that it's being renovated currently. Yeah, it's getting a new floor, so it's not. A, okay. I don't think it's accessible for a couple more weeks, unfortunately. Okay, yeah. and what I'd gone in there for was to listen to a few interesting different music CDs I couldn't find other places but also for that music theory section you were talking about there were a lot of books yeah. almost all of them were completely imperceptible to me <laughs> so I had to find the most intro one possible but yeah. they had one for me yeah so. <laughs> I like that idea Scott you mentioned about getting a spring year sets and I've uh, requested um, one book and it's not directly related to my research but I heard about it a friend recommended it so and I looked on the catalog and it was in storage so I requested it, and it was when I got an email, it was on hold, and then a couple of days days later, I had some time to walk over to the library, and sure enough, I had that spring in my step, mm -hmm. and and like you, like you don't necessarily need, well, you don't need to read a music book for your, because uh, you're doing a PhD in biology, right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, you don't need a music book, can be a music theory, but it's, it is not. There's something to be said for, you know, university, the universal, having a bit of breadth and a little bit. Reading a little every now and then outside of your immediate subject area, mm. and just physically perusing, and there's something to be said for physically perusing that in a way is so much a much more enjoyable experience than digitally browsing. You know, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm reminded of a story of my own right now. That so quite a while ago, I was in a different area of biology, and I was looking at fish. I was working with stingrays and different things like that, and I was learning how to take care of them, and so this was a post-baccalaureate certificate I was doing. Anyway, I was also trying to do some forward research on a potential graduate degree I was going to do on amphibians and things like this, so two totally different areas, and because of where I was working at this one marine lab that was associated with Oregon State University, they had this marine-specific library wow. at this special marine campus. It was very cool. And as staff, we actually had 24-hour access to the libraries, which was also neat. So I could stay up really late. So I often was there at like 2 a.m. 
trying to do this extra writing, trying to do this extra research, you'd get stressed out. I would just kind of go on walks. It's crappy weather outside, rain all the time. So I'd stay in the library walking back and forth. And I came across a section, a large section there of bioacoustical research uh, of marine animals. And it's just tons and tons of CDs mm-hmm. in the section along with the books. It had whales and pinnipeds, which are like seals and stuff. And I just would pull off these things and listen. I mean, I think a lot of people have heard like humpbacks and things, you know, like, ooh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of other whale song that's so cool. And I know a lot about bioacoustics now, but I didn't really know much about bioacoustics then, even as a biologist. It's sort of a niche area. And I fell in love with it. And I fell in love with it because I was just going on a walk through the little library. And now it's a sub area of my interest that I really care about mm. that I never would have if I didn't just yeah. have that. I, I, Maybe there's a challenge there for us, like for graduate students here at Western. If you're going to be here for one to five years, challenge yourself to visit at least three of the libraries. I visited the FIMS library for the last, for the first time last week. I was like, wow, this space is amazing. How have I not come in here? It's literally across the street from the music building. And I went there. I was like, this place is beautiful. I need to show up in here more often. And I, you know, found a really cool book. So maybe there's a, a good challenge for us there to, you know, try and visit one of the other libraries that doesn't have anything to do with your research or your faculty and just check it out or take out a book right i think that's an awesome idea yeah yeah and i think it coincides very well with the theme of our show because uh we sometimes interview students outside of our you know ryan you're in music scott you're in biology and it's interesting to have these interdisciplinary conversations Mm -hmm. and to be able to try to understand what each other is studying Maybe not at a deep level, but at least enough to have a conversation as we're doing right now. And I think part of that, like we do that here in the show, Gradcast, but we can also do that in our own reading. We can do that by physically visiting other faculties and going into other libraries. And as you say, Scott, when you were pacing the library mm-hmm. and, you, and you physically come across something, some knowledge, and it's so much more rewarding than as handy as... Uh, the digital medium is and browsing the internet. When you're browsing the internet, you know, you can be, okay, looking up, let's say, a word in French. Next thing you know, you want to know what the population of France is. <laughs> and then you're spiraling down and you're just Googling stuff randomly, killing time. But when you're physically walking, you're constrained by the physical environment in a way. Like we're still physical creatures. You're constrained by the physical environment, but you're also liberated by the physical environment. And so you're wandering the shelves. And it limits you in a way, but also liberates you in a way. Hmm. He guarantees that what you're going to encounter is somewhat connected to the wandering you have through the subject Mm -hmm. rather than the wandering through the subject online digitally where there's a thousand little bots trying to steal your attention from something else. You you feel that distance more, right, when you're just digitally browsing. Mm -hmm. The space between your searches um, conceptually can be huge. But in the library, it forces you to make those steps smaller. You mm-hmm. can't just jump from looking something up to then finding the population of France, yes, right? Because right. that would be like a whole other floor of the library. Yeah. Um, it sort of it slows your search down. It makes you think. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good, really, really good point, Ryan. The idea of slowing down your search because we like to think we're really smart people. We're you know <laughs> we're graduate students at uh, Western University, and that's you know okay, cool. That's kind of neat. But, you know, it is good to slow down sometimes and to do that within the physical environment of a library and just Mm -hmm. slow down nice and silently and encounter information, encounter students, encounter librarians. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that we should all take that challenge that Ryan has laid down for us and find two or three of the small libraries you haven't been to. So, listener, I hope you'll do that. I'm expired. I'm going to do that. I've heard of a, another small library here affiliated with us, the Huron Library, one across the road here. I think I'm going to go there, peruse, get something by Machiavelli or something, and that kind of thing. I know they also have archives here where you have to make an appointment and you can see some really so maybe i'll do that too um i was going to ask mark what libraries does he have planned but maybe you've actually been to all the libraries here i'm not sure well to be honest i have not been to all libraries so last week i went to the taylor library and i i've been in here at western in previous incarnations and that was my first time ever going to the taylor library and uh, i actually had to scope it out because i went there to see where it was and i arrived just as it's closing i thought okay cool uh -uh, this is a semi-successful operation because now I know where it is. And then <laughs> the next day I went back and then got to go inside. Even I needed to see new libraries at Western because it's a pretty big library system. And what about you? Do you have any other ones you're thinking mm, of going well, to? Well, now I'm intrigued by the Huron Library as well because mm -hmm. um, I, I think there'd be unique stuff over there to see. Um, and I definitely want to revisit the Finns Library when I have a bit more time because it was sort of yeah. a quick in and out last time I went. Uh, and now I know we have a law library. That's interesting. Apparently the law library, which I also want to go to, is supposedly beautiful, just mm -hmm. aesthetically very pleasing. Okay. I know that multiple students have gone there from certain departments, and there's been drama in the past. Of <laughs> like, hey, this library is not for you. But all these libraries are ours, guys. We all we all pay for them, so mm -hmm. feel free to mm -hmm. to take advantage. Well, <laughs> there, there is that, uh, that trope um, uh and I, and I won't single out the law library here or our law, our law students, who I'm sure are very hospitable and gracious about welcoming non-law non students mm -hmm. into the law library. But there is that stereotype at, at other universities where, no, this is the law library and we don't want economic students in here. But uh, but no, library, all librarians here are very gracious and welcoming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, there have just been a message from some of the law students that people, they didn't want other people there. But I've also talked to other law students who don't believe that at all. They totally believe the library is for everybody. So yes, it's not a it's not a thing to worry about. Well, I think that's about the time we have for this particular episode on libraries and hashtag grad life. Uh, thanks so much, you guys, for sticking around and doing this with me. And Ryan, it was awesome to have you join us here for the first time. Thanks for having me. If anybody wants to know more about what we do at GradCast, you can get in contact with us by emailing us at gradcast at sogs.ca. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at GradCast Radio. To listen to us, we are on Radio Western at 94.9 FM, and you can also find all of our episodes wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and have a good one. Bye.